and welcome to the Queer Discourse Podcast with Lou Barrett. It's me, Lou Barrett. Today, I am sitting down with a good friend of mine, C.R. Freeman. C.R. Freeman is a writer, an incredible poet. You can check out her stuff on YouTube through the Button Poetry channel. The Drug Dealer's Daughter is there. Urban Girl Responds to Yo Mama Jokes is there. And one that we talked about on the podcast actually called Orange is the New Blood. I definitely recommend checking that one out. It is about the murder of Pusey on the show Orange is the New Black. Ciara and I run a writing retreat together. It's called the Outsiders Queer Midwest Writing Retreat. And our first actual retreat was in the fall of 2019. We will have a website up soon that will have a journal on it. Um, More of that to come. I will keep you all updated when the website airs. And once uh, all of this is over, we will have in-person writing retreats again. Um, We're actually putting together the anthology from the first retreat currently, and that'll be published under Purple Palm Press. Um, So I will keep you updated on that. Ciara and I are talking about... Zami by Audre Lorde, and the Outsiders Writing Retreat was named because of Audre Lorde. We took the name as a play off of Sister Outsider, so it was really exciting to talk about this book with Ciara. We do have merch now for the show. If you go to www.purpledpalmpress.com shop, you will see a crewneck sweater that is very cool looking. And you can get stickers to support the show. Um, You can also become a member of our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Lou Barrett. I did speak to the aliens again this week. So I was telling you all that they were saying, you know, they really thought that this could become the most popular podcast on the planet. And that people just needed to subscribe and leave reviews. And I'd urge you all to, yeah, please, like, leave reviews. And this past week, um, recently, I saw that we had over 50 downloads. And that was incredible. And the alien was, like, 50 schmifty. I was like, what? I was like, this is, like, such a win for me. And this alien, his name's Ailey One. He's like the top dog. And he was like, 50 schmifty, 50 schmifty. And I was like, stop saying this to me. Like, it was like so exciting to get 50. And he's like, let's make it 5,000. And then he said, he said, and don't tell anyone I'm telling you this. And I was like, okay, well, he said that if I, this becomes the most popular podcast on the planet, I could be friends with the aliens. I was like, I could be friends with the aliens. And 
I just moved to New Orleans recently. I'm still working on making new friends and like I could use new friends, you know, even if like they live on another planet and I would only see them every once in a while when they feel like coming to Earth. So please just do what you can to promote the podcast, share it on your Instagram, share it on your Facebook. If you have a blog, share it on the blog. If you have a blog and you want to write about the podcast, let's talk. Um, You can email me. You can email the podcast email, queerdiscourse at gmail.com. Just anything we can do, um, these aliens are just giving me a hard time. Uh, Without further ado, let's get into the show today. A quick note about this episode. I was recording it outside. I am newly in New Orleans and the internet at where I am staying is not Zoom friendly. So it was outside and you may hear some outside noises. I am working on figuring out a solution to this so that not every episode has cars honking in the background, but I appreciate your patience and the episode is still incredible. Thanks. I went through a, I guess I'll call it a a black woman's lit even though that is typically what I enjoy reading a lot anyway, but I went to, went through like a very sincere, um, rediscovering, um, and re-reflection of like, uh, the, the women, the women who have molded me as a writer, as a Black woman, mm-hmm. as a speaker, um, that being Audrey Lord, um, Zora Neale Hurston and Toni Morrison. Um, and I recently revisited a lot of their work. So I, I read Zami. I re- I've reread Zami recently enough that it's still in my head. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, well then, great. <laughs> um, I just finished it yesterday. So I'm excited to talk about it. We've talked about a lot of the themes in Zami already. Interestingly enough, I believe me and you have conversed about a lot of the themes that are important in Zami. Yeah, that's probably, yeah, I would say that's true. Um, yeah, I wasn't sure how, if people said Zami or Zami, but Zami. I pronounced Hermione's name wrong for eight years and held on to it. So I'm not the one to ask. I don't give a shit. I read it. I said it. My pronunciation is my, that's a part of my platform. My yeah. brand is I say things the way I want to. Fuck you. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Um, it, it's probably, it, it could be either way. You would probably have to ask somebody. Of, um, yeah. Usually I'll like, wa- right. Usually I'll like watch a YouTube video where someone is like saying it and I'll do a couple Yeah. <laughs> so, hi. You want to introduce yourself? Um. Yeah. Sure. My name is Cr Furman. Um. I am the current Lake Erie Siren. Even though you should not be at the lake right now. Um. I am a thirty-year-old black writer. Um. Born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio. 
Um, I used to say poet, but now I say writer because I find myself writing so much. I've done quite a few essays. Um, I'm writing grants out the wazoo every five minutes. Um, I'm doing a lot of research-based things these days. So it's not all poetry, but poetry is my love. Poetry is my concentration as a writer. Um, I work for uh, the Center for Arts and Inspired Learning as a teaching artist. And I also work for the Annisfield Wolf Foundation with the Sisterhood Pro uh, Project as a teacher's associate. Um, I am working on three books that I just sent to Gibby last night. Gibby has been on my ass about these books. I'm so <laughs> proud of myself. So proud. I'm so grateful for Gibb. Shout out to Andrea Gibson. Um, one of my very, very good friends and someone who has made it um, possible for me to really, really focus on my work in the last few weeks. So I'm a girl who's been writing um, a lot. I have three books that are being, well, two books that have been we're finished with them and hopefully we're going to have Gibbs edit them and put them into some type of thoughtful order, um, help me put them in some type of thoughtful order and send them out to publishers. Um, but that would be Raised by the Dead um, and Urban Girl and the Spoils of War. I also have a chat book, which is not a full length manuscript. The other two are full length manuscripts. I also have a chat book that I'm working on called Drawn Apart, which I'm really excited about because I'm a nerd, which is why I was getting to that. I'm a super nerd um, and it's about black cartoon characters and I'm a super animation nerd. Um, I really like uh, people, you didn't ask, but you know already, but they don't. I really enjoy Darkwing Duck. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big fan of most ducks. I like DuckTales. I like Scrooge McDuck. Um, I like uh, I like comics a lot. I'm a comic girl. I like Harry Potter. I'm a Slytherin. Um, I like Lou. That's why I'm here. Hey, I'm Lou. Hello. <laughs> and I'm a Taurus. I'm the Taurus to lose Virgo. We are Earth sign. Yes, and Tauruses and Virgos are so compatible as are we it's so good yeah <laughs> um and a Taurus is gonna edit this episode coley is gonna be the editor so lots of earth sign happening look coley these are my horns and we also have a writing retreat that we host together called the outsiders queer midwest writing retreat and who was it named for lou who was it named it was for? named for audra lord and that's who it was named for because i oh look it's a baby oh i have baby fever too that's another fact oh my god i'm living with two babies my womb is like <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, uh, yeah, Audrey Lord, who is who we will be talking about. But yeah, we are the co-founders of Queer Midwest Outsiders Writers Retreat. Um, Outsiders um, being a conversation that Audrey Lord started um, with her literature. She starts a lot of conversations, and we'll talk about that. Um, but essentially, Lou and I read workshops out of Hocking Hills for two days. Um, we brought a group of queers, um, primarily AFAB feminine uh, women and, and cis feminine uh, lesbian and bisexual women, I believe, though we are open and we're open to uh, more diverse possibilities, where we basically, um, we, we bonded, we jacuzzied, um, we cooked, we fed them, um, we listened, um, we learned, we uh, shared our, our joint knowledge and our um, our resources as far as writing is concerned with them. And um, we sent those little biddies on their way. That's what it was. That was the retreat. That's how it went. <laughs> and we will one day have another one. COVID permitting. 
Right. And um, yeah, we were supposed to do the photo shoot for the anthology. So there will be an anthology for the first one, uh, which will hopefully be out near the end of 2021, if not the beginning of 2022, because we had to push the photo shoot. And um, yeah, but it was it was a lot. It was a lot of fun. And I'm excited to keep doing it. We'll also have a website soon in the next few months. So I will let the listeners know (laughs) when the website is ready. Um, and there will be ways to participate virtually in Outsiders uh, through the website. So that will be really exciting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yes. Yep. And I'm also thinking about um, starting a journal um, up under Outsiders. So that is also a thing that Outsiders has inspired me to do. And me and Lou will start talking and working on that one. Yes. Like, yeah. I'm thinking over. that'll live on the website. Yeah. So we're just still trying to come up with a name. You know another name I thought of? <laughs> I'm Lou's Lou Sleaf. I don't hate that. That's actually not something I hate. We can discuss this later, not on the podcast. You're right. Once I have time to just sit with it for a minute, but I'm actually not flat out telling you no to that. Especially yeah. like how it like has a conversation with nature too when we're already having that conversation with outsiders I do like I know what you did I do like it but I'm just not sure so I'm not sitting stone you know yeah. I'm a Taurus I don't say like saying yes to things immediately I right just sit on it. I love alliteration and I like the play on words and it's like a little cheesy but not that cheesy like I feel like it could live online and not look super cheesy I don't remember what the other one I asked you about it was bad yeah <laughs> It was bad. It was. Don't remember on the podcast. Remember later in a text message. Yeah. To your Don't remember on the podcast. It wasn't good. No, it this wasn't. one's it was good. Really this one's good podcast conversation. This one was yes. Good. Um, but yeah. So we decided for our episode to do an Audre Lord book because of doing Outsiders. Um, and we're doing Zami. That's how I have thought it was pronounced. Sierra says Zami. So, so also vote, vote in the comments. <laughs> and by and by vote, you know, because we're in America, we're not sure what it means. What I really mean is, give me your opinion in the comments, right? Oh, which way are you pronouncing? Wow. It? Just out yeah, we're in a way kind of living in a post-Trump era. Sorta, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> during this recording we so. cannot turn this into a saturday night live episode so that's where <laughs> this is going but this is a podcast about Danny. Right. i never thought i'd say his name on the podcast but it happened it's because we kind of feel like he's our past now i think we're all yeah. getting more comfortable with discussing him and i think like i myself have been saying and talking about him more often but i also just feel like that's a mistake on all of our parts because he has not left yet like we right are he's very not much, technically gone but i'm like we oh, are he's not here we're counting all the eggs like we're all everyone there is not a single person in america who does not have a basket of eggs that they are counting and trump is just like hmm i don't know if you should be doing that g because i haven't left and i I said i'm not so yeah yeah i just kept here hoping he would be banished america becomes a dictatorship i said imagine if right Yeah, I just, um, I'm really hoping my student loans go away. That's what I'm hoping for. (laughs) No, I just looked at mine, like, maybe three weeks ago, like, 
for the housing, trying to look and see what my credit is at and stuff. And I would have such good fucking Mm-hmm. As an earth sign, mm-hmm. it's like a dagger. It's like a dagger in your heart because you're like, right. what did I even get from this academic experience that I owe you all this money? Right. Why? Right. Why? Okay. But Zami or Zami or how are you saying it? I said Zami, but I could be wrong. Again, I could be wrong too. So we're just going to keep saying it our way and let them decide how they like it. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like Audrey would actually be in favor of that. She was a very open-ended option field type of woman. So I think she'd be okay with us saying, I'm not sure. Yeah. I want to know what was your first Audre Lorde book? Was it this one? No. Or was what was it? The Collected Works of Audre Lorde. Mm. A book of poems. I'm sorry. And I got so serious because I no longer have that book of poems. If you were wondering. Oh, okay. Okay. You can get me that for Christmas. Um, so I got that. <laughs> I got that. That's what you do with your friends. I got that um, book, and like most lesbians who do stupid shit, I gave it to a girl that I had loved a while ago, and it was such. I had highlighted it, like you had, like I had put my notes and my thoughts, and it was it was hexes for your exes that I gave that book to. By the way. Oh really? <laughs> by the way. Oh wow. BTW, BTW, and um, yeah, so obviously I never got it back along with my dignity from that particular situation, so things I never forgot back. I know someone who got rid, who gave their copy of Stone Butch Blues to an ex, and they'll never see it again, and Stone Butch Blues is one of the hardest books I've said on the podcast that if anyone ever finds it, to email me, and I'll buy it. It's really hard to get for under like $80 or something, Mm -hmm. because it's out of print. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But you can find it at a random bookstore that doesn't know how great it is mm-hmm. for like five mm-hmm. bucks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that person gave it to an ex and we'll never see it again. And I was like, just text him. Be like, hey, I. I-. But if you say that, but it's a lot of pride to swallow, a lot of resentment you have to bury. And it's just like to know that you love this book probably more than you will love this person in the long run. And that this person has it for it's. It's just an undignified space to be in. And most people don't want to stay in that space for very long. And we're yeah, like, that makes you know sense. We'll have to find another one. Yeah, so yeah that I, was my first Audrey. I don't think it would depend on the ex for me if I would reach out for the book. I have a habit of that. I have a habit of giving away. I have friends who I'm no longer friends with who I consider sometimes just being like, hey, not to be extra toxic, but can you return my fucking books? Like, um, like, like, like multiple books. Like I'm one of, I, you've been, you've been to my house. You've seen me. I'm the girl who did a, a photo shoot with my entire refrigerator full of books, my entire, mm-hmm. um, stove full of books, my, all my cabinets full of books. Like mm-hmm. I got books on books on books. Right. So people tend to be like, oh, well, she won't notice or it won't bother her as much. But no, I'm, I'm a tourist. I'm, you're a Virgo. Mm-hmm. I'm insane. I literally know where all of my books that are not in my house are right now. Like every last one of them. And it's so many that are gone and some are to students who deserve them, who I'm happy mm-hmm. that got them and are just like, they're like, yeah, Miss Cece gave this to me or like fans who are like, or friends now who started off as fans who are friends now were like, you got anything that you would suggest that I read that I was like, hey, you know what? I'll send you something because mm-hmm. I'm that type of weirdo and I'm just sending random fans books in the mail. Like, and like, I'm glad that they have those, you know, right. those are things I'm glad about. But it's like exes and ex-friends 
that's a when it's your books it's like god keep my lingerie keep my good lingerie <laughs> i knew keep you were gonna say that lingerie like keep the good ones keep keep my strap on keep mm-hmm. the expensive strap on like right. do do the damage that you feel like needs to be done but return my books like return right. my literature that's right yeah, I have a couple books I'll not ne- yeah, I'll never get back for sure. And but books that I don't mind replacing um if I wanted to. But how do you feel about people writing in your books? Have people written in them and returned them? A few times. I guess I don't hate it. No one's ever asked me how I felt about it. You always ask me how I feel about things. I appreciate that. No one's ever asked me how I felt about it, though. Um, I don't mind it. I guess because some of my favorite books are the books that um, belong to my grandmother and my mom that they mm-hmm. have written in, like notes. I also am the type of girl that like used to spend and still spends when I can a lot of time in the library. And you'd be surprised how many people write inside library books and leave their thoughts inside of library books. And that used to be a game for me when I was mm-hmm. like, to go through books and try to find like tickets or like little bookmarks or things people have left or notes mm-hmm. that people have left. Um, so I guess I like it. I don't mind it. I don't mind yeah. it. As long as you're not writing all over my goddamn. As long as I can still read the goddamn book after you're right. it. I don't care. Right. Yeah, it's happened to me. There were two notable times. One was someone I was like kind of seeing in college, and it was my favorite book. And I, at the time, was really upset because I was oh, like... you're a Virgo. And then the other time I was like also the, an I ex. Like somebody <laughs> cough on like your car and you would consider that defacing your property <laughs> like y'all have a very different standard of yeah what is acceptable to do to your thing right well the on. other and then the other was another a different ex and that I at the time was like excited about it because we were you know into each other and like liked passing the book back and forth but since then I gave the book to someone else and I was like I don't need this Sure. I'll get a new one. That energy. I could see that. Right. There are certain books that remind me of people that I don't find myself gravitating towards anymore. Mm-hmm. Books that I know I enjoy. Like the entire Harry Potter series. It also helps that I hate J.K. Rowling now. Mm-hmm. So that does help that J.K. Rowling's turned into a trend. Yeah. Yeah. She there. really messed things up. She did get weird. But I. Uh, but that's not the reason. Um, I just had a best friend who I no longer have who... Um, we grew up reading the Harry Potter series together and it gets kind of triggering to me from time to time. A hundred. Yeah, I totally get that. I have that certain books like that. Okay. Well, so how old were you when you first read Zombie? Uh, I was definitely a college. Mm-hmm. I was definitely a college. Uh, most of the, well, not most of it. That's not true. I did quite a bit of queer reading in high school. I just hit it better most of the outwardly queer reading um that I did was probably my freshman year of college mm. I was I binged I just went crazy I was like oh my god no one can look in my room and discover this um so it was it was during that first year when I was just reading queer things and watching queer porn and going to queer it was just submerging mm-hmm. myself into a culture that I have been a part of since I was 16 but not could not have fully immersed myself in because I wasn't an adult not even because my mother was surprised just because I wasn't an adult and I couldn't do the things that I wanted to do right were there parts about this book that um you like I don't know parts where you felt like seen that you didn't feel in her other work like specific things that are like this touched on in this book this is interesting that you asked this might be the least I've ever this this book is this book is the book where I least identify with Archie oh really mm-hmm. this, book is weird. this book what is where it? I can look at her 
in a way that, which I think is important for you to be able to look at your favorite literary artist in general, um, Mm -hmm. to be able to observe them without the, the, uh, their hero or their celebrity clouding your judgment. Um, and again, I love Audrey. Audrey's one of my top three period, hands down. Um, but I just, I learned, um, there were quite a few things. Um, Audrey's relationship with white women mm-hmm. and also her relationship to white feminism um, has always set very questionably with me. Mm-hmm. Um, this idea of, because she makes it very clear of how much she identifies with white women, um, how much, especially once she got, and I think a lot of that was the trauma of having to grow up in a uh, emotionally incompetent black family mm-hmm. um, that she was growing up in, especially, you know, how they talk about how harsh her childhood was um, and how I did, I did identify with that, not um, having a harsh childhood, but that she had two older sisters that were very close in age and that she always kind of felt like an oddball, like this mm-hmm. outsider, like this small, strange thing that talks too much or says weird things or reads. And I think a lot of Black people um, who are the Black sheep or the oddities in their family tend to believe that that makes them closer to whiteness. Um, Mm -hmm. And I just disagree with that in its entirety. Mm -hmm. And people have tried to do that to me my whole life. Oh, well, Ciara likes to read and Ciara's into fantasy and sci-fi. So Ciara's kind of like, oh, I know. Ciara has a different lexicon and Ciara's vocabulary is extended and Ciara's, (laughs) no. (laughs) Some Mm -hmm. black girls are well-read. Black girls are invested in so many things. And I just, I think, Again, this is also from a different era, a different generation for which I lived in. I had the language opportunities that I know Audrey did not have, but this is probably one of the books where I empathize the most with Audrey. I do not mm-hmm. identify with Audrey, but I empath- I hurt for Audrey right. in a different way. Um, and it's a way of that conversation of how her queerness and her blackness became in conflict very mm-hmm. often. And that's just not something I've ever allowed to happen to myself mm-hmm. for any reason whatsoever. And I do think I also just have the privilege, like I said, of being born in a different time, in a different mm-hmm. era, where that is, again, we talk about queerness all the time, where some things are going to be more accessible. So most things are. It's the same conversation with blackness. Like, yes, there are things that I have that I would not have had my ancestors not been deprived of them. There mm-hmm. are things in the queer world that we would not have if our queer ancestors ancestors had not been deprived of them right um and so I do put that light on it when I'm looking at it but no this is not a book where I can very much identify with Audrey with it's like I get to know Audrey becomes more of a person less of Mm. an activist less of an icon Mm. less of a hero I get to know who Audrey Lord is as a person and interestingly enough I'm like yeah I don't know if we would have hung out she's still Mm. my hero I don't know if we would have hung out though Mm -hmm. Well, and it seems like throughout the book... It also hurt my feelings. That's what I want to talk about. It also hurt my feelings. Realizing how much Audrey did not like, was not interested in fucking Black girls. Mm. Broke my heart. Mm -hmm. As the Black girl, poet, queer woman who looked up there, I'm like, you really didn't fuck with us. And that's a big conversation in the queer community um, that's happening constantly with Black femmes and, and Black studs. It's like, you are mimicking the misogyny and conversations and racism of the heteronormativity. We are, we talk about that a lot with butches and studs and how they mimic heteronormativity. And a big part of heteronormativity in the black culture is white women are this, white women are that. And Mm -hmm. it's even a little bit more scary 
um, mm-hmm. hearing it from an actual black woman. It's, 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 it's certainly more hurtful and it's mm-hmm. definitely scary to me sometimes. Um, and just looking at Audrey almost, I'm like, Audrey is the mother of a lot of things, but she's also the mother of that. And that is a right. conversation. I, there's, a, there's a part in this I had highlighted that talks about that idea that you're talking about um, with specifically with studs and femmes. I want to try to find it really quick. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Okay, I'm going to read it. Um, it w- so this is like towards the end. It's like the last like 30 pages. And she was talking about being in like a certain bar that was like a gay bar. She said it was hard enough to be black, to be black and female, to be black, female, and gay, to be black, female, gay, and out of the closet in a white environment, even to the extent of dancing in the big Tail, I didn't know how to say that bar's name, was considered by many black lesbians to be simply suicidal. And if you were fool enough to do it, you'd better come on so tough that nobody messed with you. I often felt put down by their sophistication, their clothes, their manners, their cars, and their femmes. The black women I usually saw around the bag were into heavy roles, and it frightened me. This was partly the fear of my own blackness mirrored, and partly the realities of the masquerade. Their need, their need to, for power and control seemed a much too open piece of myself, dressed in enemy clothing. They were tough in a way I felt I could never be. Even if they were not, their self-protective instincts warned them to appear that way. By white America's racist distortions of beauty, black women played playing femme had very little chance in the bag. There was constant competition about among butches to have the most gorgeous femme on their arm, and gorgeous was defined by a white male world standards. Mm-hmm. Um, which I like highlighted because it still feels so much like it is now. Um, it is. Yeah. <laughs> I so I'm like, wow, nothing changes. Conversations, because I'm like, I don't know if it's fair. So sometimes I'm like, mm, I won't say fair. I don't know. I'm a tourist and I'm your friend. So you know me. I don't know if it's my business, right? That's what I always say. I don't know if it's my business because I'm not interested in dating the black women that feel that way. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's like, if you like, where is that conversation start with me? Because I'm very much a, okay, girl, do what you want to do. Right. Uh, sorry for you, sis. I'm really sorry. I really want you to learn to love yourself, but that's not the role I'm playing on earth in this particular life. It's not mm-hmm. to bring people to the same realization. Do I hope that for other Black women, especially for other Black queer women? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, did Audre Lorde, this is why Audre Lorde remains a hero. This is why Audre Lorde remains iconic. Audre Lorde like, like does what, what I feel, cha- Audre, that's what I would say. That, that, um, that excerpt that you just used is a perfect example of how Audre Lorde reflects on her own actions, her own desires, her own fears, and the society and the world around her and how race and queerness plays a role. She challenges her own fucked up thoughts and beliefs, which is something I try to do in my work constantly. And she inspired me to do that. Like, bitch, admit that you are the villain in somebody's story. Mm-hmm. Admit it. Say it. You're not mm-hmm. perfect. Say it. Say this is where this is where all of this gets uncomfortable for me. This is where this gets convoluted. This is where I feel like a hypocrite. This is where this gets. This is where my pedestal I fall from. This is the one standard that maybe I haven't met. I am not, and I think oh, this happens a lot with Black women primarily. If we are any type of intelligent, people assume we are experts. That is it. Mm-hmm. You are the 
I cannot even people it's and it's not just white people it's other black people too people call me for things that are ridiculous people call me for chemistry assistance who call me for things that are absurd and I am just like <laughs> I have an extended vocabulary because I read a lot I cannot build a gazebo I cannot uh, figure out this. I cannot give you what 60% off of this $42. I don't, I don't know. I do not have, I'm not an expert in everything. Um, mm -hmm. And I also, my opinions are just my opinions. And though, because I am often more not on the right side of history because my perspective has forced me to be, mm -hmm. does not mean that I cannot be a fuck up. Mm -hmm. I am allowed to be a fuck up. That too is racism. Once I get to a certain level of intelligence where intelligent white people get to fuck up, it's like, okay, well, they've been great this far. Let's just move past it. Intelligent black women fuck up and people cancel them. They're the mm -hmm. fuck out of here. Right. Come like, on, get your ass to fuck out. Almost like somebody was waiting for them to fuck up. So I appreciate that Audrey Lord. I do think it's a braveness that Audrey mm -hmm. Lord constantly has. Even when she says, enter in these white spaces, this is something that I necessarily want to do. No, but I do right. think she was brave for doing it constantly mm -hmm. have i been thrust into white spaces often i have a lot of white friends mm -hmm. um i've like i told you you know i've never dated a white woman mm -hmm. but i got the wrist is sounding like a white person i got a lot of white friends <laughs> um, <laughs> so i can't be problematic um no but i i um have been in spaces where they are predominantly white and i don't mm -hmm. necessarily it's it's a it's a big and <clears throat> That's my friend. Um, it's always a conversation that happens in the Black community, often with the queer community as well, about being in white spaces, particularly white queer spaces. And I guess my personality um, being the way that it is, I expect people to adapt to me more than I expect to adapt to people. And I don't mm. care what race you are. I don't. As long as you're not a child or an old person, adapt to me. Adapt <laughs> to me. Why well, I gotta adapt to you? I felt that way when I was a kid, with grownups, mm -hmm. adapt to me. Oh, kids are in the room, well then you be quiet and stop talking about grown up stuff because I'm not leaving off the room, adapt to me. Right. No. <laughs> yeah. um, and so I've never really had that particular fear because I've just also had a, a different type of confidence. But again, I think that also comes from being black and queer in a time and era and a space, having an older sister that was black and queer, a direct example, just having so many things in place to give me a certain level of confidence that Audre Lorde explains in the book, in the beginning of the book that mm -hmm. she said, didn't have, which mm -hmm. she had continuous shutting down of her confidence, continuously. Whereas I had sisters that looked at me every day and said, pretty girl, you're so pretty. Pretty girl, mm. you're so pretty. The mm. idea of someone not finding me attractive or just finding me attractive, it blew it. Once I realized that that was a narrative for black girls, I was so surprised. I would just put it mm. that way. I was, that was one of the things that genuinely shocked me about racism. And a lot of things about racism did not shock me, even as a child. But the idea, maybe because I was so, so surrounded by black women, if the risk of sounding arrogant, my family is very attractive. So at the <laughs> risk of sounding, I'm just like, I was surrounded my whole life by really bad beautiful black women and mm -hmm. i was like that can't be the story right and i also just so happened to see like young like again just where my preference was white women weren't that attractive to me mm -hmm. so i was just in a space where like are you this is the this is mind-blowing to me this mm -hmm. makes zero sense that they are willing to sacrifice everything about us for this ideal concept of a woman that I don't even find top tier when compared to my grandmother. That right. That doesn't make sense to me. Well, and so Audrey Lord just didn't have that. Mm -hmm. Right. And well, the other 
I'm uh, thinking is a major difference. You went to all majority black schools growing up, didn't you? Mm-mm. You didn't? Why I went to Brush that? for high school. Oh. So, and when I went to Brush, when Brush was still 60 40 and 60 oh. was in white people's favor. I graduated okay. and it was still 60-40 in Lindhurst. And I was in Lindhurst, not the South Boulevard. So it was still 60-40 mm. in their favor. So mm. not necessarily. I did get the opportunity and the blessing of being able to go to majority Black um, elementary schools. Okay. I think is where it matters. That a lot most. of it is informed. That's where it matters mindsets. the most. That's mm. what I think. That's where I think it really matters the most. Like when you were yeah. in that influential age group. So by the time I got to middle school, um, I had went to black, I went to predominantly or all black elementary schools all the way up until sixth grade. And then sixth grade, I was thrust into South Newport Lindhurst. Um, mm. Yeah. And then, okay. and, and again, I didn't feel like, and, and it worked. And again, it's my personality. I like things that white people like. So it, mm-hmm. it didn't take much for mm-hmm. them to adapt to me. They were like, oh, okay. Well, fine, <laughs> shit. She's talking about the same shit we want to talk about anyway. It's, it's fine. It's cool. Black, she's mm-hmm. here. And with Black people, I was never that Black girl that had to prove my Blackness. I've always been more than Black enough. I'm just too smart and knowledgeable on Black shit for them to take my Black card because I read Harry Potter and I'm a gangster. I listen to Lil Wayne. So I mm-hmm. also have the privilege of Black people knowing damn well I'm not, my last name is Freeman, like the mm-hmm. boondocks. I ain't the Black bitch they could take the Black card from. And they know right. So everybody's had to adapt. Every Black people are like, we got to adapt to the fact that she's a gangster, but she does be on that white people quote unquote shit sometimes and white people are like we gotta adapt to the fact that this black girl is just as if not smarter than us and more knowledgeable in the things that we only think are designed for us and we Mm -hmm. have to accept that and Mm -hmm. again I think Audre Lorde had all I feel like that's where me and Audre Lorde have similarities and the idea that she could balance both those worlds but because her first performative years with blackness were so scarring Due to racism, due to racism, they were so scarring that she felt like the only part of herself that she felt safe with, that she could identify with, that she felt proud of was the parts of her that white people enjoyed. Right. I think one of the things I really liked how she did writing style wise was when it's like starting as a kid, I feel like she gets into the perspective of her different ages. Like she's not writing from the same point of view the whole time. So I feel like it's like, as she's like kind of getting older and starting to figure out what racism is, that starts showing up in the way she's narrating her experience, you know, but like before she's like really understanding why things are happening, she's not writing about it. Like she understands why it's happening, which I thought was really cool. So it's like, you're continuing to see her like, coming into awareness at these different ages you know isn't that how we all grow up right Right. she's just you know are just just clever and um literarily brilliant and literarily that is not a word but I love it it is now irregardless is a word so it's a word now um she does this in a way that we all do it we all know what nine-year-old us thought we all know what 14 year old us thought we all know that these are different thoughts and that they evolve and sometimes they devolve like I I had a fucking six-year-old CR thought not too long ago like sometimes they devolve and they have different perspectives and because of those different perspectives um the story changes the, the way the way we interpret it the way we feel about it changes and um again I just really feel like this was the most this might have been the work where Archer was her most human mm. And I appreciate that because she didn't have to give us that. A lot of black women writers choose not to. Um, yeah. We were taught about uh, 
honing in on our vulnerability and really pushing our strengths and mm -hmm. um, quieting our vulnerabilities. And um, Audrey is just really, really vulnerable in this. She's super vulnerable. And I think it's clear how much she's a writer too in how like she seems so introverted throughout mm -hmm. the whole thing. She the is. way she, yeah. That's another reason why I'm like, no, we wouldn't be friends. Like, <laughs> no. no. <laughs> it's not even just that. It's just like, God, you are that girl. You are, you are, you are, you have a lot more Tina Belcher in you, Audrey Lord, than what I would have imagined. There's a lot of awkwardness about mm. you um that almost seeps through the page which ironically as someone who's a big fan of her poem does not seep through her poems Archer mm. does not view re Archie's poems Archer does not come off as the awkward black girl mm. that is not how she reads again that's why it was so interesting to me I'm like this is right. not how you read more like the cool black girl like me you don't mm -hmm. read awkward black girl I'm a lot of things I'm not an awkward black girl like I, I mm -hmm. love the idea that there are them but I'm not I'm a confident cool in your face black girl right uh, I have a space, just like Audrey has a space. I just thought Audrey was over here by her poems. When it mm -hmm. gets to Audrey's essays, her autobiograph autobiographical takes, you see clearly that Audrey is not that girl. Mm -hmm. And that's so interesting because her legacy and iconicness almost, I think we almost always, um, and that's something I have to check myself on, I'm sure most of society does too, but we kind of associate iconic women in general with extrovertedness. Mm -hmm. like how can you be iconic if you a quiet bitch that's mm -hmm. not fair I don't think that's fair Audrey kind of like I think Audrey kind of slipped through the cracks because she didn't come off as that like a mm -hmm. quiet bitch but like girl you're a quiet bitch right and that's okay it's no powerful and I do believe you can be a powerful introvert and I yeah. think that conversation has got to be had at some point not by me because I'm an extrovert and I don't care but <laughs> some introverts they got time they need to discuss that yeah, I think plenty of, there's plenty of comedians who are, like, introverted, you know, and they're able to, like, turn it on when they're on stage, yep. um, and then outside of that, they're, like, shut down, but I think they get, way, like, way more exhausted from those things, like, there's more recovery time. I used to, um, and I need it even more now, now that lupus, but... Um, I'm an extrovert. People forget the extroverts, like we, we still have energy depletion and shit like that too. So mm -hmm. I always identify, um, after long tours, like a tour that's anything more than a month, mm -hmm. I'm a nervous people wreck. Mm -hmm. I'm literally a nervous people wreck. And like, I think that is probably one of my strong points, especially as far as performances that people don't feel that way. People are like, no, she loved us. She left us from the time we were here to the time she left. We exchanged numbers, we had drinks, it was great. But by that like 10th show, I'm a nervous people ass wreck. Like I am mm -hmm. on, like I'm on edge. Um, and it's just that adaptability, having to adapt to a lot of different right. situations, I think helps me there, but it's not, it's not easy being an, an extrovert, but also it's not easy being an introvert in this situation mm -hmm. either, because you can see that like a lot, what I also came to the agreement with, and I came to this agreement with my friend, um, she's actually under, she's a grad student at Brown right now. She's doing mm -hmm. a lot of her work in black women lit. And we came to this um, idea that maybe Audrey, um, really like a lot of poets make a persona to tell these poems, right? Mm -hmm. Audrey totally. had bulked it up a bit and I think that's very right. interesting that she was even smart enough to know to do that in her art like maybe I don't have to be this big big thing I can tell people that I'm not it later mm -hmm. but in order to tell these 
truths that have to be told and to deliver mm -hmm. this art that needs to be delivered. I'm going to have to bold, I'm going to have to Beyonce it up a bit. I'm going to have to bold mm -hmm. it up a bit. I think that's interesting. Right. Yeah. I think for a lot, for a lot of people, whatever their art is becomes a place for them to let out this like specific part of their personality or, you know, their character that they don't really get to put anywhere else or like don't feel comfortable embodying all the time, but then they like have this spot where they could do that. Attention people, young and old, guess what? I have a special offer for you today. There is a place on Larchmere Boulevard. Maybe you've heard of it. This place is called Larchmere Fireworks. Okay, now I have your attention. Now you're wondering, what is this thing, this place offer? And I'll tell you what they offer. Glass blowing and blacksmithing. That's right, glass blowing and blacksmithing right on Larchmere. You may have thought in your life, hey, I wanna make a sword. I don't know if they, you could make a sword there. I wanna make something out of glass. You can definitely do that. Come on down. If you mention the podcast, you get 10% off, which is a beautiful discount. And not only that, but you may be intimidated. Maybe I wanna go there, I wanna do this, but I don't know what I'm doing. That's okay. Tina and Cassie are two of the nicest people you'll ever meet in your life. They run the store. They're so welcoming and kind. You're going to feel right at home and you're going to walk away making something new. Spice up your day. Do something different. Okay. Do a little glass blowing. You might surprise yourself. Mention the podcast 10% off. That's Larchmere Fireworks on Larchmere Boulevard. I'm not a drinker myself. I. Seriously, I don't drink at all. However, there's a super cool bar on the west side of Cleveland called Jukebox. It's called Jukebox because, you guessed it, there's a jukebox there. It has something like 100 records to play. And yes, I don't drink, but they have an awesome food menu, including vegan and gluten-free options. I'm currently on the gluten-free kick because I always want people to have a hard time feeding me. They have one of the largest outdoor patios in Cleveland, which is super cool, especially now with social distancing. So if you're looking for an inclusive bar, they have rainbow flags on the windows. You'll feel right at home at Jukebox on the west side of Cleveland. Again, that's Jukebox Cleveland on the west side. What did you think about her relationship with Mur Muriel? Muriel? I thought it was so sad. I just, God. I just. So here's the thing. As a queer, we all have these relationships that change us forever, good mm -hmm. or bad. Like, right. There are these certain things. Hold on, because I want to look. Give me one second. Because okay. it was one particular part where I was like, Jesus. Christ, who needs this? Who needs love? First of all, okay, okay, because it's so sad all around. I'm still trying to pull it up. So I don't want to be incorrect because mental illness is a serious thing. I feel like Muriel was schizophrenic. Isn't that mm -hmm. what? Yeah, I, th I think that's what they say. I don't know if they ever say for sure, but like I know because yeah, I don't want to just break say up, that and be wrong. Okay, I, so what were you saying? When they break, well, when they break up something like she ends up at some point entering an inpatient facility or program for schizophrenics. So that's what I thought. Yeah. That's so I'm pretty I, sure. Okay. 
So I want to start there. I want to start all the way at the end. Okay. That's, that's, that's the way that conversation on love and mental health. Queer people, um, especially, 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 especially queer people in that particular era in which Audrey was falling in love and being in love, they did not, let's just first and foremost, because I keep saying this, but I, I want this to be clear on every form of the imagination. They did not have the language that we did. Mm-hmm. They did not have the resources that we did. They did not have the same thing. So with that being said, the way that the, I have loved someone with mental illness. I myself have been diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder because of my father. Um, I know what it's like to feel lost. I do not know what it's like to be afraid in that way for a lover because of the idea of resources and maybe because again yes this world is crazy and yes they are still doing queer people all types of wild and black people all types of wild in the health industry and the mental health industry absolutely yes that's not what I'm saying but what I what I have had the same fear that Audrey probably felt like was permitting that relationship no no, because it's always hard to leave someone who needs you. It's always mm-hmm. hard. You know, you know that conversation? Like she, it's, it's ta- just- she says something about that. I like just had it. Hold on. You can keep going. I'm looking for it. And so, okay. So there's just this idea of like electroshock therapy. So there's mm-hmm. been a lot of stuff that's been happening like lately in television of our good queer Judy Sarah Paulson just mm-hmm. was um what was the name of that oh, random running I haven't watched production? it it's not my thing it's are so you, it's not that great um but the Sarah, new Ryan Murphy one yeah but they uh, one of the things one of the things they highlight in that is queer women and electroshock therapy mm-hmm. um and so obviously that was the thing like that was the thing and like that idea of that being like the option like I'm going in there because I'm sad or I'm going in there because my um the brain activity that is is considered normal is not what I'm experiencing and then I have to worry about that on top of worrying about you possibly lobotomizing me or like giving shock therapy or something wow because I am a lesbian on top of Mm -hmm. all of that like Mm -hmm. it's just that idea like that is so terrifying to me um, and that also goes into the conversation of just when you don't have the same reason why we always have to look back at this, at these events, um, with the eye of what time period did they occur in? What did that look like? What resources were available, um, before, before judgments are made. And mm-hmm. like, I, I think also just opens a bigger door to empathy. Cause like this whole time I'm like, I'm just so sad. That, that that this person your first love your god your first love mm-hmm. is this hard right right I'm so sad like I'm so and I'm sad for her and I'm sad for Muriel like I'm sad for both of you I'm sad mm-hmm. that this is the reality and that honestly there is not any resource that we have available now that is available then that could help either of you to cope with it or you you know what I'm saying there's mm-hmm. nothing available for that 
And so this idea of there, not only did queer people really have to build their own families and build, like she had to leave her family and create this new world and build her own family, but you also have to build your own mental health industry. You have to build your mm-hmm. therapists, build your counselors, build your doctors. And like, that was such a sincere scene during that mm-hmm. time period. And I'm like, build a family, sure. Build a whole damn psychiatrist. How? Mm-hmm. How? Mm-hmm. Out of your community out of the community that you have available. Like, right. that, that's a that's a big conversation. Yeah, I thought it was intense when they do the New Year's and she writes down, like, here are all the things you've accomplished and then writes in her column nothing. Like, mm-hmm. but I felt like, I felt sad for, for Aud- Audre Lorde because it was like this, it seemed, she was like the most confident during this time, it seemed like, and she was like making all of this headway and was like accomplishing a lot that she was really proud of, but then was like in this, I don't know, in a situation where she couldn't get to, she didn't get to feel that. Or like, she didn't get to enjoy it, but it's hard right. to enjoy certain things when you are in love with someone who is not enjoying their time. Right. That's right. Real. Well, I mean, it's, it seems hard for queers. I don't know how hard it is for heteronormative relationships. They seem to not give a fuck when the other one is fucking sad. They're like, oh, fuck you. I'm enjoying myself anyway. So uh, we need to learn how to do that. As queers, I, I, I vote we learn how to do that. Right. Well, they seemed kind of codependent. I think that was part of it. Sure. But I think that's a huge conversation on queer culture. Mm-hmm. How much how much codependency actually lives and thrives in queer culture. Right. Not even 100%. just in relationships and friendships and just how much of that is codependency because you've been taught that you can't depend on the outside right. quote unquote or over anything else. Yeah. 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 The part I was gonna read I found it's it's she's not talking about Muriel. She was talking about um someone else that I remember who, but it says so she Rhea says to her, just because oh, she's talking about Bia. Um and it was like after that breakup happened and Rhea says to her, just because you're strong doesn't mean you can let other people depend on you too much. It's not fair to them because when you can't be what they want, they're disappointed and you feel bad. And it mm-hmm. seemed like that was a theme in her romantic relationships that she was like the one taking care of things, taking care of them. Oh, and I really liked just the period of time where she's like reflect where she's reflecting on that breakup. And there is a part where she says, it was only the Muriel in my head I had to give up or keep forever. The Muriel peering up from the couch belonged to herself, whoever she wished to be. So it was like her talking about how she was like letting go of this idea idea of who they were and who they were to each other. And then kind of detaching and being like, that's just, you know, that's a person who has their own stuff. You know, it's their own person. Yeah, Muriel's just my, I just also, I felt so bad for them, but it was hard for me to make judgment. I felt like we kind of were set up to kind of judge Muriel in a lot of ways, but I'm just like, I'm, my empathy was already there. I'm just like, oh, I know what it feels like to be, I I guess I feel like I'm, I I guess I feel like I know more what it's like to be Muriel than I do Mm. to be Audrey in that situation. And knowing you as a friend, I'm sure you feel like you know more what it's like to be Audrey than to be Mm. Muriel in that situation. So I see where the heartstrings are being pulled um, in different spaces, but I hear Mm. you. Um, Muriel wasn't even my favorite lover of Audrey's and who was your favorite lover of Audrey's? Mine was Kitty after Kitty. I, I fucking know. loved I for the longest I wanted to name my child Afro Kitty. Oh really? I wish that would have been longer. I do too. 
Um, but I also want to have that conversation. Every com- every bit of her with black women. Is short. It's short. Mm-hmm. It is minute. It seemed, it seemed like she, I, at least the way I was reading it, it seemed like she continued wanting to be around more black women and ha- be, have more black women lovers. But well, she that just it, didn't feel like she had the right to talk about it that much at that point. And mm-hmm. I know so many black women like that, where they feel like they have set on the outside of black culture that mm-hmm. they feel like maybe it does not belong to them. So if you are a black girl who's listening, who has felt like you were on the outside of black culture, it's still yours, black girl. It belongs mm-hmm. to you. You can still have thoughts and feelings and opinions and talk. You are one of us. It's those Beckys that gotta shut the fuck up about it. But you can talk, baby. You can have an opinion. I, I'm so tired of seeing black girls be scared to have black conversations because mm. someone or somebody has told them they aren't black enough to have mm. it. It's a lie. It's not true. You should, and I'm listening. So there's that. Yeah, it was. It's like seemed like she early on was dating a lot of black women and then something changed and then it just like, yeah, I don't know. Then it was just like her social circle changed so much. I, I Again, it's, it's so much more because what we haven't talked about, which I think is a very big running concept in this uh, work, is Audrey's mom. Audrey had a terrible fucking relationship. It's like any of us. That's a big fucking conversation. Mm-hmm. Parents affect who you choose today, what you want, what is attractive. So much of that comes from our interaction with our parents. Mm-hmm. Audrey's mother had, I think, in a lot of spaces, very good intentions and was just fucking awful in the delivery. One of the fucking worst, worst cases of them, like, you wouldn't even been as bad if you knew how to actually enact what you wanted the outcome to be probably mm-hmm. she had a good outcome in right totally the way she was trying to get audrey there was some was damn near torture i'm like yeah this could be considered child abuse mm-hmm. yeah absolutely boo you were abused this is trauma and now you can tell without it even being touched on that this one without it being touched on greatly because again even her black mother is an example of her not really wanting to talk too much and give too much detail about her particular trauma but i'm like this is generational what mm-hmm. the fuck happened to your mom what what was said to your mom what races like it that was something i wanted to explore more and i was always disappointed about that if mm-hmm. if not in this book in a work following Mm-hmm. I was like, well, tell me about your mother. Because mm-hmm. the relationship with your mother was instrumental to who you are as a person and a writer. Um, and I think um, what happened was Audrey got the opportunity to distance herself from her mother. She got the opportunity to walk away. Mm-hmm. And that was freeing. And mm-hmm. so the idea of, of uh, it, it seems really like, I don't know, basic but the answer is uh very usher you remind me of a girl that i once knew like black girls reminded her of her mama mm-hmm. she did not like her mama mm-hmm. she did not like her mama her mother intimidated her right her sisters intimidated her Audrey was scared of white girls. That's mm-hmm. all it was she was scared of black girls in the same way that people are taught to be mm-hmm. she was well and it seems like a lot of their their differences came from the cultural differences of her she growing up in the US and her mom not and them having completely different you know relationships to their community. That's a huge conversation. It's mm-hmm. also this idea of wanting to be upwardly mobile 
um, and what that does to Black families and how Black children are raised and talked to and coddled, if at all, if ever, um, and what that does to the self-esteem and what that does to future, you know, like one thing I will always say, one thing that I noticed, one thing even younger, I would say I noticed about white children when I first started going to Memorial. Um, and it's a joke, a lot of black comedians say it, but like white kids get away with anything. That used to be such a fucking big deal to me. I used to be like, this is, as a girl who's naturally inclined to be a bit rebellious, who's like sort of like a badass. That was the one part in my life where I might've been jealous of white people. Like white kids live the fucking dream. I was like, yeah, yeah, you should have a little bit more autonomy. I do think you should be able to say, I don't wanna fight. I used to stand white kids. Like we were like, they were so bad and unruly and unreasonable. I'm like, or, or, or they just have a certain freedom without this deaf defiance consequence hanging over their damn heads all goddamn day like what does that look like I have no idea mother will whip my she can never hear this podcast she will whip my ass for even considering this I will absolutely put the fear of God in my children like black women till they come through their kids I absolutely shall not really I'm gonna raise my kids like Chris Summers my kids are gonna be some free spirit little fairy sprite children but um yeah my kids will be interesting big feelers like they'll be very comfortable with their feelings I, I believe that. I believe. <laughs> I believe that. Um, I was gonna say. So no, I feel like Audrey. I feel like Audrey's mother um, came from a space where it was this idea of having to be upwardly mobile, um, having to get Audrey prepared for a white world. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, when I saw, I was like, I just, white kids are not being prepared for the world in the same way we are being prepared for mm-hmm. the world. But then flash forward to me being a 30 girl in 2020 and realizing black kids are not getting shot in the fucking streets the way fucking like white kids are not getting shot in the fucking streets the way black kids are. So they don't have to be taught these death defying mm-hmm. rules to live, to actually, I think that's such a conversation that people do not have when we talk about black lives mattering. I'm like, we make the joke about white kids getting away with everything we make that joke but then we don't stop and think about a what that means about privilege but b also really what that means about consequence Mm -hmm. and like this idea of not having that imminent fear Audrey Mm -hmm. grew up with the imminent fear of not maybe murder or death but not getting to a space where she was safe from being too black if that makes sense because it was a certain idea that blackness um, especially with a lot of Islander Black people. And I feel like even though I am not with all, disc- you know, uh, clarity, I am not a Black person from the islands at all. So I'm no mm-hmm. expert and do not want to pretend to be an expert. Um, but I do have family who are mm-hmm. indeed from quite a few different islands. And one of the things that I have noticed, especially from my family from like St. Lucia and like Trinidad, what I've noticed is um, this disassociation with American Blackness. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's for a lot of reasons, and, and this is not what our podcast is about, so I'm not about to do a whole lecture on why I feel like there's a disassociation, but we'll just go on the fact that I feel like I've seen it, mm-hmm. um, and I think it's for a lot of reasons, but I think due to that disassociation with Black culture, mm-hmm. um, her mother kind of informed her of that. This is what mm-hmm. Black people, you know, this is what you're, you are going to be better, not only right. than white people, but Black people too, like, and I, I think, Again, I don't necessarily think her mother is wrong. I think her mother kind of had the, like, if you break it down to the bare minimum, her mother said, you're going to be better than everybody because you're my child. 
Mm-hmm. And I think as a, as a Virgo and a Taurus, we can kind of understand where she coming from when she says something like that. Mm-hmm. But it was the way that she put this into practice where she right. made Audrey feel like um, it was this much harder to be better than white people and not that much harder to be better than black people. Mm. Well, it was like what you talked about with the outcomes, like what she wanted to happen made sense. Um, but the way she did it in practice didn't really. And I feel like the the like school election is a great example of that. Whereas like what she see- wants her daughter to know is that you're not getting elected because you're black and you're in a white school. But she's not saying that. Instead, she's saying, don't tell me, you know, that you're wrong for doing it. And it was like, it seemed like she was going through so much of her own internal she emotional struggle her to think racism exists because right if racism exists then it stops her daughter from winning mm-hmm. she cannot be it's that idea like and again i know a lot of black parents who do that it's not that harder because you don't want your kids to get stuck in this idea that they can't win mm-hmm. that's terrifying could you imagine having a seven-year-old already determined to lose in life like, right well, i'm black so you know it's only so far i can go so it's almost some black parents not my black parents but some black parents think it's wise to almost insist like white people do that racism is a concept that is in our past so that their kids can have a more a more um positive concept of what a future can look like Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um (laughs) where are you going um, to the basement, so I okay. can smoke. But go ahead. Uh, <laughs> um, well, and what you were saying with ki- white kids not getting um, punished, I also think it's like white white kids are taught there isn't a ceiling. And I think that there are po- some positives to that, but there's a, we are seeing the negatives all the time. It's just like then there's like no um admission no, I don't of, even think there is a negative I think white kids don't. should be taught it I just think that black kids I think all kids should be taught it. yeah I think all kids should be taught it equally and maybe white kids need maybe white kids cannot be taught it for like five years they can just right, have a break from it but then they need to resume teaching yeah it just would be my assumption that that's part of what leads to the entitlement and leads to you know blaming other people for something that happened right i mean i guess sure, but it also leads to backpacking through europe and discovering mm-hmm. a cure to cancer mm-hmm. and fucking making it to the moon disobedience and and freedom and the idea of it's not inherently wrong Mm-hmm. why people forget that they're like we're just gonna destroy all of it i'm like no that's when white people start talking to me about anti-capitalism i'm like no but just because you had your turn right. because you, had your you fucked up none of us get to part you fucking kidding me no i want a chance to be a good rich person right just because you're shitty at being a good rich person does not mean i'm gonna be shitty at being right. a rich person especially right. as a black person who has not had the opportunity to be so it's right. like no you should abolish it as a concept that is the idea that you can only like that white people can ascribe to when they are just like at a space where they're like i'm just so tired of it sure i get it it's mm-hmm. been a bad time of it we see mm-hmm. what we see what this concept can do right. for people who used it incorrectly now right. give someone else a fucking turn and see right. if we can figure out how to do this correctly because i don't think some of these concepts inherently are bad mm-hmm. it's like magic okay right. 
Like you give right. magic to one wizard, it's fine. You give right. magic to another wizard, it's a fucking clusterfuck. Right. Well, it's like business owners don't have to exploit people's labor and they don't have to, you know, like pay people unfairly and they don't they have, don't to. have to yeah <laughs> like, this is actually so, i think that's what a thing about america is we are so convinced that this is just how it like this is our life like we are right. so we are fatalist that is one thing we are in this country we're like this is our, black white young oh we will look every other country in the fucking face and go this is how we live here this is how we live so either get with the program or get out this is how we live doesn't have to be that's not true. right we can change everything tomorrow Right. And I just always think, I mean, at least in the social circles I've been a part of, it seems like a lot of the people who are like capitalism sucks and wanting money is bad are all probably making like, I don't know, 20 grand max a year. I'm like, you really don't want to make make. Come on. Like we're living in a society like it's just you're just hurting yourself. I don't know. That's just my. I'm about to say we could do a whole different podcast. On right. <laughs> capitalism and why that doesn't sit well with my spirit but it doesn't sit well with me either my friend always jokes that I'm a little capitalist I'm like I don't think it's like it has to I just think that I'm aware of is it is the the way capitalism being run incorrect sure what the fuck in America is being run correctly what the fuck in America what name one fuck except for some little girls lemonade stand in Wisconsin what the fuck else in America has been ran correctly in the last I don't know a hundred years nothing nothing in the last since we got here since we got here in this bitch ain't nothing ran correctly so is capitalism bad no y'all the truth is what we do not want to hear Americans are bad and if you give us any fucking concept, <laughs> we will make it off. And no American, black, white, young, old, fat, but we don't want to admit that. We right. don't want to admit at the end of the day, like any narcissist, like any country of narcissists, we do not want to admit that, right. you know what, we are the problem. Capitalism isn't the problem. It's the people. Yeah, I just don't think, I guess, as a country that we're encouraged to self-reflect. And I think that's a lot of... We're not. Uh, yeah. We're discouraged to self-reflect. Right. Right. And maybe to what you were saying before, yeah, it doesn't have to be not, it doesn't have to be, you know, telling kids there's no ceiling, but it can be and reflect. And reflect. No no ceiling and also reflect. And also think about the decisions you make regardless. Like, I don't understand why that can't be a conversation instead, but it's also because we live in a very either or state um, of mind in this country. So I think that's a lot to do with it. Okay, a lot of people want to do yoga. I can't bend, I can't do that, I can't close my eyes, you know, for two seconds. Enough is enough. Come and check out AbideYogaCleveland.com. It's a yoga studio on Larchmere Boulevard, and they offer a welcoming, safe, happy place for all levels of yogis. You can call yourself a yogi if you do one class. So you come in, check out their website. In these times of COVID, they're offering outdoor classes. They're offering Zoom classes. This is a truly important thing that could really positively affect your life. So check them out. You may be listening to this podcast and thinking, I like this. And I hope you are. Because frankly, this is just one of the many outlets and channels that Lou Barrett is expressing their art and creativity and writing. Uh, You may be familiar, if you're familiar with Lou Barrett, with Purple Palm Press. Okay, 
What is Purple Palm Press, though, if you really think about it? Well, I'll tell you. It is a publishing company featuring stories from queer artists with a focus on dating and relationships. Always a very enticing topic, personally. And Purple Palm Press is not only just a beautiful alliteration, but a community that is building to give queer people and queer artists an outlet. And it's a really important, beautiful thing. I personally love it a lot. So you might be saying, okay, oh, that sounds good. That sounds great. (laughs) What can I do? There's always something you can do, silly. And the thing you can do is contribute to Lou Barrett's Patreon account. Now, here's what's going to happen. We're going to do a 50-50 split. 50% goes to Purple Palm Press. 50% goes to Lou Barrett. Everybody's happy at the end of the day. So if you are inspired by this content and you want to see more of it and we got to get out there, we got to be queer and support each other. We all know this is very important. Check out patreon.com backslash Lou Barrett and show some love. Lucy's going to get her stuff. So it's just me and you guys. It's just you and Cece. Cece and the audience. I am, I need an audience again, y'all. I am um, typically, um, spending the majority of my life pre-COVID as a travel and touring artist and um, I didn't realize how important my audience members were to me and um, they're so kind throughout this whole experience they've been telling me how important um, I am to them and I've got to I've really got to get on my SHIT like I've been cussing this whole time and tell them how important they are to me who's also important to me I love you Lou it's gonna be so funny when she like double back and hears this recording. Like, what the fuck is this? Your husband having a whole private conversation. What are some good shows that are out? These are the questions I would ask my audience like before I would get into my set list. What y'all watching? What's on Netflix? Who has some good sex? I, I need I need some tea. Who has some bad sex? I want that tea too. We, we did not talk about Ardry, uh, this book, as much as we talked about Ardry, which I still think works, though. Because that was the conversation, right? Authors and books. Books and authors. This is a cute little coffee shop. Everything in Louisiana is cute. Shout out to Louisiana. Louisiana. Baton Rouge, Louisiana. <laughs> I need a nap, y'all. I need a nap www.ccneedsnap.com I'm thinking about starting my own little uh, not a podcast Lou has the podcast right, (laughs) and we're back and we're back yay (laughs) I wasn't talking at all while you were gone you weren't? no you won't have to edit like five minutes out of this video I'm just playing. I'm just, or am I? I don't know. You'll have to listen back to it. Anyway, where yeah. were we at? What were we talking about? We were talking about um, self-reflection. There's not enough of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's why so many people are so therapy averse, you know, because then all of a sudden they have to self-reflect. But it's also, again, like, I cannot stress enough, America is one huge embodiment of I am not the problem. 
Mm-hmm. And if you are not the problem, then why do you need therapy? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I guess that's what I was thinking is part of the result of teaching certain people that there's no ceiling. But I guess it's just the way. You can say, you can have whatever you want, but you also have to be kind. You can have whatever you want. Don't be a colonizing, murdering, fucking systematically racist son of a bitch. It's like, why is that so hard to trade in if the fucking other side is you can have whatever you want? Right, right. And so again, I get the idea of people taking away the idea of you can have whatever you want from white folks. I get that because of the privilege of you had it for so long. But even again, I think that gets tricky because I'm one of those people of um, you reap what you sow. Mm. I don't want to do mean shit to white people. I mm-hmm. feel like that's why white people got nasty food, can't dance, babies ain't as cute as mine. I don't want that from the next generations of mine. I'm okay with being black one because y'all are wrong. Like people are wrong. So like you are on the wrong side of history. I'm on the right side of history. Um, mm. And it's like, I don't want it to, to, to to be so wrong. I don't want to be so wronged that I become wrong. I yeah. don't want white children to think that they need to grow up without having the possibilities of anything they want. I love too many white children. I have two white nieces. I would fuck someone up if they told Clementine or Lulu that they could not have everything that they want in this world. I would literally go right up to somebody, nah, nah fucks given, and punch someone right in the face over Lulu and Clementine. No questions asked. Um, and they are actually, I would I would even go so far as to say they are multiracial, um, biracial really, but they are white presenting and the world is going mm. to acknowledge them as white. Mm-hmm. And because of that, um, certain people are going to tell them they should not have everything they want. And mm-hmm. they can't tell my babies that. That's not what they can tell my babies. You just can't, you're not allowed to tell my babies that. Um, and I just, I don't, I don't, I don't believe in that. But I also tell my babies, you can't step on other people. You have mm-hmm. to be very conscious of who else is in the room. You have right. to make sure that you are making space. You can teach somebody the right things without snatching everything away from them. Right. Well, I it think might it's like- make them, it might make it easier to learn. I don't know. <laughs> if you don't snatch every fucking thing away from them, it might make it easier for them to learn. Right. Well, it's like, um, I've, yeah, I feel like a lot of, us whites for a long time thought in order to have what we want someone else can't have it you know but I feel like it's teaching people that you can have everything you want and if someone else has it that's also great like other people can have what you want and it doesn't prevent you from getting what you want the way wealth is distributed in America I tell people I just don't understand why y'all feel so rich it is only a few of y'all that are really really fucking rich anyway like really 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 the the rich I want to be Mm-hmm. I want to be Beyonce rich, obnoxious rich. The rich I want to be, too. like it's we'll just, just not- get to. We'll just we could just hang out with each other then. If not, that's what'll happen. That's yeah. what'll happen. But it's like it's certain tiers, and like, do white people hold the majority of wealth in America? Absolutely, no questions asked. Absolutely, and it's a, a disgusting amount. But is there a shit ton of poor white people too? A shit ton, right? A shit ton a whole lot um and of course they don't have the same you know barriers and systematic practices against them but they are fucking poor 
And as someone who's been fucking bored, I know that is not a thing that people want to be in fucking America. Right. Um, and with that being said, like, I'm not about to go down to the, like, Appalachian fucking mountains or somewhere in Kentucky or really just the west side of fucking Cleveland in certain pockets and be like, you know, you can't be anything for the next 10 years until everyone that I feel like deserves to have the world that I want them to live in has that world. Um, because then that's not quite the world that I want to build. But I tell everybody, we all got different worlds that we want to build. I can't tell people what their world building looks like because I would, again, punch somebody in the face if they told me what my world building looks like. Right, um, right. I'm not anti some things. I'm just anti how we do a lot of things. Mm-hmm. I think that makes sense. When I, don't, I just don't like everything turning into an identity anyway. So I don't want to say I'm anti-capitalist capitalism has a lot of problems but it doesn't have to be part of I my feel personality. like I'm anti as an identity my <laughs> identity is anti <laughs> my identity <laughs> like the answer I'm like the black fucking culture's answer to the Grinch will stole Christmas wow yeah this shirt I have is from oh my gosh so I was worried I left this on the ground over there and I almost said that I had to like interrupt to go look and then it flew from behind the laptop and I was like oh thanks god you just wanted me to know <laughs> tell me about this shirt Lusky. um it's from uh this magazine called um which is not a dirty word they put out an issue I think it's biannual it's either biannual or quarterly or bi-monthly okay um but I love them and I have every issue but one but I got this shirt and I I have seen a lot of cute butches at the specific coffee shop I'm at. This is a coffee shop I come to a lot. It is a very cute coffee shop. And I just want all of them to know that I'm gay and that I'm attracted to them. So I'm wearing this shirt. Yeah, so it's like the adult version of like wearing the little rainbow bracelets and like yes. wearing the backpack. Yeah. Okay, cool. Crap. And I also have this bag is like who's G-L-S-E-N like the gay organization. So I'm like just so everybody knows. I'm really thinking about coming out with like my own little um, good morning, hood morning, fashion design. Oh, that's like, a good idea. Yeah. And um, one of my shirts, I just wanted to be like, no, sir, I eat pussy. I just wanted to say that. Just no, sir, I eat pussy. That's <laughs> funny. No, sir. Okay. Um, um, yeah. So the thing, the way I like to close these is by talking about so I love books as you love books and I think books can have such an impact on people's lives that things from a book stick with them for years and years so what from this book is the kind of thing that like has stuck with you and last gave a had a lasting impact um a lot from this book again like I I cannot reiterate enough of how much we um we separate um people um, we have a hard time separating people from their celebrity and their hero to us. And I think reading this book was the first time that I really actually felt challenged to do so. And I think that I, I met the challenge and accepted it head on. And it gave me a different perspective um, when I'm reading any book, when I love any author, when I am 
um, getting to that point where I'm quoting them all the time and I'm referencing them and I'm like this, you know, this is who you need to, I make sure that I'm like, but also um, just like I would hope that anyone would do with me sincerely with my writing, but also this person is a human and look at what this bitch said. This is kind of problematic. This might be like, you know, this needed to be explored a little bit deeper. Like mm-hmm. I want my authors whole. I want my people in my life whole. I don't want perfect people. Um, I don't want terrible people, but I want I want people who are people. Um, and I want authors who are people, the people that I read, the people I identify with, the people I want to be able to trust your ideas and your thoughts. And in order for me to do that, they can't all be great. Mm-hmm. And um, you That's got true. to- you got to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. Um, And Audrey was the first time I accepted that. And this book is what the book did that for me. I'm like, Audrey, you are a whole human. Thank you for offering this experience. Um, This is experienced Black women. Again, like I said, we're told not to share vulnerability or always show to be like this pillar of strength. Um, It was a really brave thing to do um and a very inspiring thing to do and so that's that's really what I got from the book and I, that's really what I carry that's an overriding concept of vulnerability and honesty um and 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 this okay this this idea of reflecting like we said and being okay when we don't come back as the victor or mm-hmm. the victim in our stories being okay when it's like maybe maybe it was my viewpoint that was fucked up there I don't know but this is how I saw it Mm-hmm. and having to be that idea of I'm not sure if this is right but I'm gonna say it anyway writers don't do that really a lot anymore um and so yeah yeah I think they're playing publicist like while they're writing so often sure um but yeah I think for me the reminder that like we have so many of the same problems still um and like I thought a lot about the way she talked about butch femme dynamics and I feel like there's this like binary that's always been there of like people who are butch femme and then people who aren't and both of them kind of feeling victimized or left out by the other um so seeing that written about and I feel like it kind of helped I don't know like it can there's a way to look at it that's negative but I also felt feel like in the positive way it means that like not any of the work we do is like never for nothing because we're just we just keep having the same problems so like it's not gonna not matter you know what I mean like it's mm-hmm. um yeah I would say that seeing every how things are still so similar but I love I love a book that's like chronological like this I'm taking pictures of us oh. <laughs> of yourself of us you're oh. in the pictures too <laughs> my Lusky, my Lusky. Okay. Here, I'm going to take a picture too. Yay. Yay. Wow. Well, I think this was a great episode. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Let's do it again sometime. Let's do it again. Yeah. Oh, you want to tell people where they can find you? Um, If you are interested in um, getting to know me or by any chance um, being involved in my career and looking forward to purchasing any of my future projects, you can find me on Facebook at C.R. Freeman. That is spelled S-I-A-A-R-A. Again, S-I, two A's, a R and an A. Freeman, like the boondocks or like Lovecraft Country for you sci-fi and fantasy folks out there. Um, I also can be found at That's What C Said on Twitter. That's What C Said on Twitter. And she's a bad mamma jamma. 
cheese a bad mamma jamma on IG. Most likely, if you type my name into any of these sources, you're going to have me pop up because there's wonderful and, thing about CR Freeman's is I'm the only one. So Yeah, that's great. Um, and you can watch C.R. Freeman's poems on YouTube. Yeah, look up The Drug Dealer's Daughter, Hexes for Your Exes, Your Mama, the Cleveland poem. Um, and for all our queers out there, For Pousset, I think that's a super important poem that I did for um, primarily the queer Black culture. And of course, when you're doing something primarily for the, the queer Black culture, it does not always get the views it gets. And it's one of my least viewed poems, which I just think mm. is an interesting conversation that I'm going to have further um, in a different um, interview that's coming out later this week, which I will not talk about because I don't know um, exactly what date and time it is so I don't okay. want to give out false information to people but um so yeah so I will be talking about that later but so yeah check out my poems Get yay to know right, thanks love you love you too talk to you later okay bye peace okay that's our show I want to thank Ciara Freeman for being on the show today I want to thank Audre Lord. While she is no longer with us, I want to thank her for writing Zombie. I want to thank Coley Pizzoli for not only adding something to the ads, but also for editing this episode. I also want to thank Noelle Richard for creating the illustration for the cover art and Lauren McAndrews for designing it. I want to thank Samantha Grace for writing the wonderful theme song for this podcast. I want to thank Barbara Minnie and Max Bax Books on Coventry for supporting this podcast. I also want to thank you, you, I want to thank you for listening, for tuning in, for downloading, for telling your friends, and for considering supporting our Patreon to make this show possible. That is at patreon.com slash Lou Barrett. Um... It means so much. It means so much. This is uh, this has been a huge learning experience for me. <laughs> um, I have had a few breakdowns over learning how to do audio. Um, I just had one last night, and you know I'm just doing my best. Um, <laughs> I want to thank you all for listening. Even if there's anything wrong with the audio that I um, cannot pick up on myself, it means so much. And I would love to hear what you think about the show. Um, please let us know at queerdiscourse at gmail.com. We have a couple more episodes of this season, but wow, we are um, wrapping it up. We're wrapping it up for the first season. So I just want to say thanks for sticking around and listening um, during these COVID times. It is um, it is a weird time, but you all are so devoted and loyal already. Already season one, I have seen that we are having a lot of uh, repeat listeners. So thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, it makes me feel really good about the show and it makes me feel like there's a reason to keep doing it so thanks and until next time i hope you are staying safe and reading some good books have a good day
Let's talk it out now, baby. Let's talk it out now. Let's talk it out now.